This is Robert from Twin Peaks, and you're listening to Inspirado Projecto. Got a light? Aha! It appears... It appears... Uh, it appears we have received a very important message, a very urgent message, actually, worthy of all of our attention here in the Inspirato Projecto email, which, by the way, if you have some uh, interesting audio, some uh, some great stories, every single one of you has accumulated an astounding amount of stories through the years, email them to me. I would say keep them around the three-minute to four-minute mark. Send me your music. Uh, send me... Whatever the heck kind of audio you want. We'll play it on the podcast. I'll make sure to give you credit. This is from email address levyforlife2017 at yahoo.com. L-E-V-I-4, number 4, L-I-F-E-2017 at yahoo.com. So here we go. Dear, comma, Please do accept my apologies. I do not wish to invade into your privacy. I had written an earlier mail to you, but without response. In my first mail, I mentioned to you about my late client who bears the same surname with you. Since his death, I've received several letters from his bank where he made a deposit of $10.5 million dollars Before his death, the bank has asked me provide his next of kin or any of his relatives who can make claim to his funds or it will be confiscated by the bank as I could not locate any of his relative. Hence, I contacted you for this claim since you have the the same surname with him. As soon as I hear from you, I will give you the details and procedures of the transaction. Best regard, Barrister Coffey Kokuvi Esquire. Urgent attention needed. Urgent attention needed. And was named after Phineas Banning, a stagecoach line owner and the father of the Hello? What you just heard there was my buddy John Garside. He was at work. He works for the city of Banning. He does their, uh, he records their city council meetings. He was there um, recording another episode of Forgotten Tales. Forgotten Tales is the name of his podcast and also a wonderful video series. If you look on YouTube, um, I would suggest checking out the Electrodome. Look up the Electrodome, Forgotten Tales. 
So there was John Garside recording this for the city of Banning, and he heard a sound off in the distance, actually right behind him across the hallway in a room behind him, and then there's a click. So you hear, if you go back and you re-listen to that little piece, after he's talking, you'll hear you'll hear the, the audio go a little bit higher. That's him. He's... Um, that's his doing because he 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 wanted to zero in uh, on on the sound. So you hear like a boom and a. So those those are um, sounds that he heard through his headphones while he was recording. And then when he went back and he re-listened to it, he brought up the volume on those. So I would suggest get some headphones on and you can hear it. And this is what's so crazy. I guess there was a cleaning crew in there one time. And they saw they were in the room that's across the hallway from where he was recording this. Um, they're in a room there, and they saw a, a a stack of papers just go whoosh, just fly right off, like whoosh. Imagine the image of like uh, remember Ghostbusters when they're at the, doing the Dewey Decimal System. You see the librarian and all the all the card cards from the card catalog and brrr, you know flying across. That's kind of imagine that kind of image. And shortly after that, the cleaning crew quit. There's another time that he told me that someone had seen, uh, like the like a girl, a little girl run down a hallway before, um, like a little ghost of a little girl. And uh, he and I were talking about this on the phone, and it turns out that when you look at the aerial shot of this, there was a street that went right through where the building now stands. I guess this the building was built in 1991 or something like that. Um, so. There was a street that went through there. So he and I were figuring out, like, oh, maybe there was a little girl who was hit by a car or something. Or, uh, you know, maybe that, that's her ghost that's kind of hanging out in the hallways. So, which is crazy. He's a huge Ghostbusters fan. So it, that was crazy. I said, wow, man, you, you know, you brought the ghosts to you. Usually for these forgotten tales, he's the one who's out there looking for the answers. I told him he's kind of a cross between Indiana Jones and, and uh, Sherlock Holmes. He's willing to get in there, use his deductive reasoning, figure stuff out. And um, that's why his videos are so successful and why people ask him to, to, to give lectures at uh, their libraries and all these different, different places. So that's kind of a lesson uh, I think for all of us to learn is just dive deeply into your passion for the sake of just doing it. He, these are stories that he just wanted to tell. He just went out there. He wanted to find out about stuff, started digging into the stories. He wanted, you know, just to, just to set his heart at ease um, without even realizing that he was creating the art that he wanted to see in the world. As a result of that, people saw the passion. People saw, you know, loved the stories. And then they started coming to him. And then they started you know, inviting him to, to speak about this stuff and to show his films before, you know, crowds of like two or 300 people, then they would, then they would give him even more information, which helped him out for stuff. So it, um, it's just incredible. So I, I was joking with him. I said, this is kind of like that phrase, the hunter becomes the hunted because he's out there looking for the ghosts, so to speak. He's looking for the stories of these, of these times long gone. And now here he is in his, in his office, all by himself. No one, no one is around in, anywhere near him in the hallways. He's recording this thing, and bam, there's the story right there. <laughs> it's like the ghost peeked in. It's like, hey, I want to be on there too.
So I just had to share that with you. If you want, go back, listen to that little segment, and and listen, especially with headphones, and you can hear the little the little bump back there. So um, I I will definitely share with you what happenings evolve as they unfold, and perhaps you have some answers to these questions. I Inspirato Projector. I am cracking up laughing. <laughs> oh my gosh, you are hilarious. This is what I love about your show. This is what I love about you because you bring laughter to me. You, like I said before, you bring a smile to my face. And I just appreciate you so much. Thank you again for calling. I really appreciate it. I know the library system has really changed. We need to be more quieter. It's projector. <laughs> you take care and all the best to you. <laughs> Documenting everything he did. And I'm just like, my God, I've seen the photos of the boxes and the employees who now go in there with the rubber gloves, you know, the latex gloves. And they're, yeah. They're handling all the materials. Right. They call Andy Andy Warhol time capsule. Yeah, Andy Warhol time capsules, and it's just amazing how he documented uh, everything. I mean, really. So the okay. So usually a time capsule, you wait x amount of years and then they unearth it. But they're just calling these Andy Warhol time capsules because it's just a, a sealed moment in time, so to speak. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't remember offhand if they how it worked if they. I want to say they kept them sealed for a, a, however long after his death. Um, Can you imagine? But at any rate, they, they have gone those, through them. Thousands of those. Oh he my probably God. has. It's it's just incredible. You, like I said, you Google Andy Warhol time capsules, and you will see the you know images or whatever of uh, the employees at the. I don't know if it's a warehouse. And they're handling it carefully. <laughs> yeah, with, their, with the rubber glove. Yeah, maybe gloves. even some in hazmat suits. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, depending on the photo. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it's so inspiring. I just, I just love that. And I, I remember I never, really, I never really knew much about Warhol uh, until, other than the obvious, like until my 20th birthday. And then on my 20th birthday, he, he died on, on, that, on my birthday. Oh man! And, uh, I remember uh, February twenty second, eighty seven. I, I turned twenty, and he died. <laughs> I was kind of like, whoa! And and so it was all over the news, of course. And I'd always liked, you know, the skim of what everyone knew, like the famous soup cans and <clears throat> the Brillo, Brillo pads, and uh, so I, I knew the skim, and I always liked that. And I remember seeing him on the Love Boat. <laughs> thinking that was surreal. Oh yeah! And oh I, yeah! And I knew about his connection to the Velvet Underground, and I was really getting into the Velvet Underground uh, in my late teens, and uh, so it all, you know, it all kind of like connected the sticks. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah, the sticks. And uh, and and I, before I knew it, I was just like obsessed with Warhol and his whole thing. I just thought it was amazing and how he sort of took this weird handoff from Duchamp in a way. I thought Marcel Duchamp. This indirect Who's the urinal guy, handoff. right? Yeah, yeah, the urinal guy. The urinal dude. The ready-made man. Where basically anything you look at could have it be potentially art, right. just depending on whether you're giving it that label or not, huh? Yeah, art or art with the air quotes or anti-art or whatever. It, it, he was, I think with Duchamp's philosophy, he was basically trying to transcend the whole thing. Hmm. Like, it doesn't have to be art and it doesn't have to be anti-art. 
it doesn't it, it could just be yeah or yeah. not be no. it, it just is or is not you know whatever it's like it's just there right <laughs> and you can love it you can hate it you can be indifferent it's an ex- it's all an experience like I'm I'm giving you the opportunity to define it as what you want to define it and feel about it how you want to feel exactly. about it and yeah. come up with your own story behind it I always thought that was beautiful because he's not like Duchamp wasn't hitting anyone over the head like well this is how you must see the, this urinal or this is how you must see this bicycle wheel uh, mounted on a stool you know uh, this is how you must view and come to think of this snow shovel that I called in advance of the broken arm which wow. I always thought was hilarious wow like, in advance of the broken arm oh <laughs> my god um, it just goes on and on I just uh, I don't know but uh, yeah anyway uh, that so, whole t- period of like with the factory I mean that 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 is an ideal that's something I think has always been this this amazing like the factory you, you had the beats you had the surrealists you had these groups of these guys who these tribes who were just creating 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 in all kinds of media and Andy Warhol with his screen tests who knows how many bazillions of hours of footage that guy took that oh, has, yeah. had, nobody's ever seen before oh and by the way he did one of uh, Speak of the Devil he did one of Marcel Duchamp oh god that's awesome yeah, yeah which was not too long before Duchamp uh, passed away actually so that's pretty amazing I think he didn't he do one of Dali I think so right I know he did Bob Dylan uh, he did my god who didn't he do he did everybody um, but yeah that's just an amazing period oh here we go oh yeah after you my friend I would like the uh, may I have the uh, tur- turkey bacon and eggs Scrambled, please. Potatoes, tomatoes, or cabbage cheese. Is it possible to get uh, fries in place of, of those? Cool, thank you. Oh, um, honey bagel. That sounds good. Just the. Oh, an egg bagel sounds good. Thank you. I am going to have the usual <clears throat> when we come here every three months <laughs> I will have the California omelet please um, potatoes tomatoes cheese. Uh, potatoes please. toast uh, wheat yeah. and can we hold on to this for a little while just in case we have ideas about Good. thank you um Plus, we need to get those desserts read by Colonel Sanders. This is perfect timing. Can can you? Are you able to? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I have to pee. Listen, I don't have much time, but do you feel like you're going out of your gourd? Are you? Do you have the cabin fever? Have you run out of Netflix to watch? If has the thought occurred? Hey, you know what? I can make funny stuff. I've been watching TikTok. I've been watching all the social networks and seeing. What kind of creativity is coming out? I could create that. Hey, you know what? I wish they made a podcast about this. Well, you know what? You can make your own podcast. Go to anchor.fm. Go to it, please, right now. Make your own podcast. It's the lazy person's way to make stuff. You can make little segments. Uh, you could put music on there, found sounds, babies laughing, neighbors throwing frisbees. Uh, uh, your friends playing guitar. Ah, it's so good. Anchor.fm. Please get this and find me. Inspirato Projecto. Let's be friends. Okay? Anchor.fm. 
Uh, we are here with a, a very, very special person, uh, Mr. Colonel Sanders. He's going to read from the uh, Jerry's Restaurant and Deli, established 1978 restaurant, bar delicatessen. We deliver open late, where food and people mix. And we're going to have quite a mix here. He shall read to you from the desserts menu. Get ready. Get ready, folks. You, you will not encounter such low, low prices as these desserts anywhere else in the nation. Well, thank you very much, Kurt. And first of all, I want to wish a happy holiday to just about everybody. Oh, that is so nice. Thank you, Colonel. Uh, save a couple of my ex-wives. Ho, ho, ho. Ho, ho, ho. A little holiday humor. Yeah, you know, that, that joke was finger-licking good. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Christmas presents, tasty pheasants, countryside's covered with snow. Here away we go. Here we are, desserts, a la mode, $2.75. Bread pudding, $5.50. Jello, $5.50. Hold the Cosby. Cannoli, $5.95. Brownie fudge, ooh, insert your improper joke right there, $4.50. Large chocolate chip cookie, $4.25. Large cookie, ask your server, $5.25. Hello, hello. Please leave a, <laughs> please leave your message after the beep. All right, let's back it up a little bit. Why on earth would the large chocolate chip cookie be for 25 but the large cookie, ask your server, is 5 25 Hello. Pecan tart, $6. Apple pie, $8.75. $8.75 for apple pie. That better be some damn good apple pie. Enough to give you a reach around. New York. Excuse me. My angina. My angina. New York cheesecake, $9. God damn it. That, that better be the best New York cheesecake this side of the Mississippi. Strawberry cheesecake, $9.50. Oh, 50 more cents for the strawberry. Hmm. What do I get with that? Perhaps a colonoscopy to go. Tiramisu, $8.25. I do believe we have an active audience. Uh, chocolate mousse cake, $8.25. Chocolate fudge cake, nine twenty-five, and last but not to be least, carrot cake, nine twenty-five. Thank you and good night. Thank you so much. You heard it here first, folks. Colonel Sanders. Oh, yeah, no, 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 that's right. Yeah, no, that's fine, that's yeah. fine. Um, I forgot to ask you, did you ever see the Institute? Did we talk about that? Yes, we, uh, it's slight uh, yes documentary, no. slight mockumentary. Yeah, we, you told me about that a couple years ago, and, and I've been so busy with Jim Morrison. That's on my list. I have a list in my notes of documentaries to watch, which I'm now adding Orson Welles. Oh, yeah. The two Orson Welles documentaries to that list, and the Institute is at the top. I haven't seen it. It's really intriguing because at first you're watching it, you're going, okay, this has to be a mockumentary. Like, what these guys are talking about is so outlandish. But then you end up realizing, no, this thing actually was real. Like, this is something that these people actually truly 
went through and dealt with and were a part of. There's video footage that you see this crazy stuff. I think I told you I met a guy at a party one time who told me... I was, ta- I was talking with some people about how strange Meat Clown was and just like whatever those guys are into. And, the, and the, there was a guy sitting there, he goes, oh, that reminds me of the Jejun Institute. And I go, wait, from the movie The Institute? He goes, yeah. I go, how do you know about the Jejun Institute? He goes, I, I did, when I was in San Francisco, I, I, the, I went through all that crazy stuff. And then when the Institute came out, he's like, one day I was, I was searching on Netflix and I see the Institute. And I'm like, oh, this is a neat documentary. And he goes, as I'm watching it, I'm like, holy cow, this is that weird thing that I that I had, had been a part of. He's talking about how when he was out there visiting his friend in San Francisco, his friend goes, oh, you want to do something interesting? Go to this particular building, go to the receptionist, tell them you want to go to room number, whatever, 348 or whatever, and they'll tell you what to do at that point. The, the receptionist sends him up an elevator, he walks down this long hallway, opens up the door, just just like in the Institute. There's there's a comfy chair, there's a TV. It's a very, you know, set-dressed little room, and there's a VHS in there, and he presses play in the, in the TV, he talks to him about Jejun Institute, and then in the corner of the, of, of the chair, there's a little, sort of like a little worksheet of little things, little assignments that he could do. Things where basically... He had to go to a, a, a phone booth at a certain time. I and mean, then while he was there, he the phone would ring and he'd receive instructions. And I mean, it, it was so interesting. The fact that, like, to make a, a living art project like that and to include people from just the world who are just game for it or just like, oh, I like Easter eggs. Okay, let me follow this rabbit hole. That's awesome. Yeah, I and oddly, I mean, I can't even keep track of time anymore. Like, I think... Did I see that, or am I remembering you and I talking about it oh. like like a year or two ago? I don't. I think I would remember if I saw it. I know I wanted to see it. It's on my list because I. People are always saying, "Oh, have you seen this film? Have you seen this doc?" And it's like a running joke now where I'm like, "No, no, and no," because I've been so busy with my own Morrison film. Oh yeah. Um, but man, that sounds amazing. I look forward to it. And anyway, does it feel great? Like, I mean after all this time to finally zipper up the kind of finally get the the movie finished it's amazing yeah it's it's absolutely I don't have the words <laughs> uh, like I said at one point you know I'm sitting there and it all comes down to you're looking at it on a hard drive you know which is safely ensconced away <laughs> uh at a remote location. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's like six years and five months of my life. Uh, who planned on that? You know, it was, it was going to be a two-hour film, documentary, and then it evolved into a six-hour six docuseries. Yeah, it's like David Lynch's Dune. When he made Dune, yeah. it was like a six-hour film. He's like, well, we could chop it up into pieces, or it worked best as like a, a TV show. They're like, no, David, no, it's got to be two hours. And so as a result... People are like, what the hell? It's, that, that makes no sense. And it's like, you don't, no one ever gets to see the other side of it, of like, what it, what it, who knows? I mean, how crazy would that be if someday that version gets released? Well, because of all the criticism, that's when David Lynch put his name on it as Alan Smithy. Yeah. Which, I was talking with my buddy Chris about this the other day, like, Alan Smithy is responsible for producing, editing, doing the music of, so many movies out there Alan Smithy is that name that's just given out 
where if you don't want to have your name associated, okay, it's Alan Smithy. Oh yeah, didn't they even didn't someone make a doc about you know uh, the, the the code name Alan Smithy? Oh, I, if they did, I need to watch I, it. Or I want to say something was done about you know the long-standing tradition of Alan Smithy. Oh my god! A few years ago already, but again, I can't recall. I think it'd be hilarious. To, I was talking with my buddy Chris about how funny it would be if like to come forward as Alan Smithy and say. I am responsible for creating all these films, and I'm very proud of them. You know, they were so far ahead of their time, it's going to take another 30 years before people really truly appreciate their genius. I'd like to know who came up with Alan Smith. Yeah, oh yeah. Where is that individual out there in the ether? Um, I assume that was pre... Well, yeah, that was way pre-internet, right? I love that notion, too. I was talking to someone recently about the the pre-internet age, like how... um, uh, urban legends and dirty jokes, like how they, how they uh, were were uh, passed on down oh, yeah. down the generations, like you know campfire stories. Yeah. Right. Like a pre-internet, pre-self uh, smartphone. Yeah. How were these things transmitted? You know, I guess it started around <laughs> campfires and and bars. You know, people sitting in bars, and then the next thing you know. Uh, Joe Blow and, and John Doe are sitting in a bar in North Dakota, and, and then one of them gets on a flight and goes to Tucson, and then they tell this dirty joke that they learned at the bar uh, uh, in Tucson, and then that guy travels up to Seattle, and he tells yeah. them that he flies to Oahu. It's and, like they carry that story with them. Right? They carry those jokes with them wherever they go. And uh, it's fun to think of that sort of uh, underground network of legends and myths and jokes and stuff and, and here we are <laughs> would it be would it be too soon for me to ask Jennifer Abel if I could play her father in a movie I would love to be Alan do it like I know they did the documentary but shit man I would love to to become Alan Abel for his like okay. a movie about it to answer you honestly I'm looking at my watch it's too soon, and hold on. Now it's time. Now it's yeah, right no, time. Uh, now no, yeah. it's time. No, it's I time. would ask her right now. <laughs> That's amazing. I would I would pay damn good money to see you play. It would be so fun. Play Alan. Oh my god, that would be so fun. Now, that's that's so fun to think about too, because I remember when he, <clears throat> excuse me, when he allegedly passed away, you and I, of course, instantly went there and said. Is he is he pulling, is Alan Abel pulling an Alan Abel? Yeah, yeah. Is he uh, <laughs> is he riffing on his own his own uh, hoax? Oh, of, yeah. of all those years ago, and but then you think of his his age and his health. I mean, I know I, I had heard he wasn't in the greatest health, sadly, but he had an amazing. If, if he did really die, he had an amazing long life. But again, at the risk of sounding like a you know tinfoil hat uh, wielding. Uh, idiot, uh, and assuming you know what everyone faked their death. Because for the record, the only people I think faked their death were Jim Morrison and Andy Kaufman. That's it. I've said that for years. Uh, if anyone else beyond those two, and the only one who actually that way, um, if that way, if a phone call does come through or something like that. It won't. It it won't throw out the recording. You know, it'll, it'll hold it there, yeah. which is good. That's that's awesome. Um, 
God, it, it would be so much fun. Oh, I have this I have this idea for, um, I don't know if I ever told you my idea for the, well, I told you that I'm, that I'm still piecing together my, now, before you move out to Joshua Tree, and after you move out to Joshua Tree, I'd like to shoot scenes. If you wouldn't mind, would you mind being my cameraman? Because I don't have a camera person to shoot oh, yeah. the scenes of me to do the things that I need to do. For, for playing for, Alan for this, well, I'm sorry, for the, this particular Pagani film that I'm taking oh, together oh, with Pagani. Oh, yeah. If, I, if, yeah, if, the, if my schedule uh, with Morrison, because uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know what's going to happen once yeah. I... Uh, once uh, the deal is is, is sealed, yeah, uh, I don't know what's going to happen in terms of me doing promotion and and all yeah, yeah, the yeah. leg work. All right, that's okay. For no, that, I'm just just throwing but it out there. You know, if I can do it, I would be there in a heartbeat. Now I have this idea that's a side that's a, that's not not the uh, not the idea that I'm doing with Pagani, um, but I had this idea of how interesting, like a movie called Mr. Pagani. And I guess it depends whether actually Bob plays this character or not. But I don't know if I ever told you about this, but I had this idea of, you know, because he, he kind of prides himself as being kind of a cranky guy, kind of like, you know. Curmudgeon? Yeah, kind of being this curmudgeon. <laughs> and so we play off that idea of him, you know, he's got his particular gripes about specific things, you know, his specific gripes about specific things. And he ends up going to um, maybe a carnival is in town, you know. And uh, he just gets out of the house and decides to go up up there, and he goes into the fun house. And then as he's in the fun house, he walks into the room full of mirrors. And he's looking around, and he starts seeing all of these different sizes and shapes of him, all these different, you know, wiggly and wobbly and all kinds of different sizes. And when he exits the fun house, everybody in his environment looks like him. Ooh. Everybody. So it's in a sense he's gone into this dimension. In a sense he's gone into the room full of mirrors, and now he's confronted with his own reflections. Now when he's out there in the world, each and every single one of these people, I'm talking about little people, I'm talking about kids, I'm talking about all kinds of different shapes and sizes, everybody, women, men, they all have his face. We get this prosthetic of his face, and these people are wearing it. And... It puts a whole new spin on uh, Lost in the Funhouse. Yeah. So now he, in a sense, is confronted with these different aspects of himself. So each of those aspects are now found to be saying specific things that he was saying that the audience harkens back and remembers hearing him say before he went into the funhouse. So now everybody in his environment, in a sense, it's like taking your own... Remember we were talking about earlier, like, the way that people will project their their view out into the world. So like, if they're, if they're worried and scared and timid all the time and worry warts and always complaining, well, they're going to look at the world like that through their lens. So now, you got Pagani, who's walking around out there, and he's like, and he starts looking around, he's, you know, he notices something is a little strange here, and everybody looks like him. And they're all echoing back to him his own thoughts, his own sentiments, and everything like that. So now what it does is... It, it, it makes him confront him. It's like looking at the man in the mirror. He's confronted with himself, with his own gripes, his own complaints, his own uh, um, frictions on certain things. So now... At the man in the oh my God, that'd be great. We could do a version of him singing it while he's there in the fun, while he's there in the fun house. He's like, I'm looking at the man in the mirror. I was going to say, yeah. I've never heard... I don't know if I've ever heard his voice, but I imagine it being very curmudgeon-like. <laughs> and then him doing some funny little dance. And then, so when he comes out, every, now everybody is using the same gripes and complaints. And now, it's like, 
now he's confronted with, oh, is this a belief that I want to hold on to? Is this something that, you know, how is it making me feel to hear all these other others say this stuff? So little by little, he, he, it's like, it's almost a, a film of like, where he, he now starts to learn how to, at first, it's like, it's hard. Because he's just like, why is everybody complaining all the time? He's not even realizing that it's his own feedback back to himself. <laughs> it's his own, you know, curmudgeon-y stuff that's echoing back at him. And uh, so now what happens is, little by little, he starts making amends. You know, not that he had not that he had any friction with them, so to speak, but he's confronted with that friction of his own, you know, whatever, his own nature. So little by little, he starts, like, finding the agreements with each of these particular characters as he's living his life. And maybe within this world, he ends up, you know... <laughs> meeting a nice woman who actually looks like him. He ends up having these kids. You know, so it yeah. turns into this whole, like, years and years and years. And then what happens is that circus comes back to town. He decides to go back into the circus, decides to go back into the funhouse, looks back into the room full of mirrors. When he exits, bam! It's back on the same exact day that he first entered it. Oh, so, so he's, he, like, in a loop? Bam! So he now, in a sense, the spell has been broken. Now... He's, he's no longer being curmudgeon about any of these issues that he was before. Now he's learned a way to get past these sort of, I, I'll, I don't know, whatever might be menial issues or things that like are just really not worth the weight that some of us give yeah. to them. And now he's sort of broken the spell, and now he's back to square one. He, enter, he exits the place, and then there's his... There, there's his, you know, original wife or kids or who knows what. They're like, Dad, we just had a fun time on that. You know, and it's it's back to how it was when he first entered. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I like the idea that when he's in the loop, <laughs> I like the the image of him getting into an argument with himself. Yeah. But, but like in a different guise, you know, like him as a six-year-old child. or Yes. Or like a 102-year-old man or, or a, a, a woman who is like a parking ticket reader. Oh, yeah. Or like, imagine that, like, some little kid who's got this, like, you know, maybe, like, a cynical mindset. You know, like, a little kid. It's like, come on, you're, you're like, eight years old. you got a whole life ahead of you. Yeah, they're like, ah, geez, all these taxes, all these taxes, you know, or whatever whatever it is that the kid would be complaining about. Exactly. I, I, I like that. And even if, you know, and it could be a completely different name eventually, but whether I use Bopagani or not, but... That just popped into my brain, you know, like thinking, wow, that would be pretty cool. Like, very few times, just out of, I think, congeniality, very few times people will give us the feedback of the, of the, you know, very few times when people echo back to us, in other words, give us back our own medicine. Um, and we see what happens when we give people back their own medicine. They don't like it one bit. Because they're like, wow, you're being a jerk. I'm just feeding to you the same words that you just gave to me yesterday, and you don't like it, so why why are you putting that out there? You know, so very few times will people actually confront, um, uh, unless you're like a Joan Rivers type of person who just like just you know blah, 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 they're just saying the stuff that you know they don't care about the repercussions of getting yelled back at or whatever. But like the idea of just being congenial, kind of be letting letting people, if there's a jerk. A lot of times, you just let them be a jerk sometimes. Or if they're, a, you know, because you're like, oh, I don't want to really say anything to them. But, I, you know, it's interesting because if they had heard that, if they realized 
what kind of effect that they had on their world, maybe they would dial back the way that they're treating people in certain ways. You know, if they could see the path that they've carved throughout their life and the legacy that they're living. Because, you know, wherever we're going, we're leaving that specific vibe, we're leaving that kind of energy. Um, kind of like what you were harking back to what you said earlier, like a joke that someone has told in a bar in Canada. Now, that person flies back home to, you know, in Nebraska or whatever. Now they're telling that same joke. Now that's around in Nebraska. Now those people go off and, you know, and, then, and it just keeps spreading. They, they go on a camping trip and they tell it around the fire and then they tell yeah. it at work over the water cooler. Yeah. And, in the pre-internet smartphone day. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of times, you know, our ghost or, or our spirit will reach a particular location before we ourselves even get get there. I mean, how many times have there been those times where you show up somewhere? Someone's like, oh my God, Jeff, you that guy. Okay, so you're the one who's working on the Jim Morrison documentary. <laughs> oh my God, that's so great. I heard so much about you, right? And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, that's that's so crazy. Like now they've actually met you in person. They've heard about your spirit, and now now imagine if they're like, oh, you're you're that guy Jeff who's always like you know kicking people in the balls. You know, just stay away from me. You know, like I've heard a lot about you, you jerk. You know, your ball kicker. Yeah, the ball, you ball kicker. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like, either way, we're leaving a legacy behind. So, um, what? What you know, a lot of folks will say, Oh, I, I don't care what they think about me. Well, if you heard the immediate feedback from everybody and they dished back to you the vibes that you put out there, you might start caring about how people view you. <laughs> you know, you might start figuring out the equalization of uh, whether you should yell at your server or not, uh, whether you should treat that, you know, the garbage man in that terrible way or not, or you know, what have you. Um, so it'd be, an, it'd be an interesting thing. It'd be an, like an immediate feedback kind of thing. You know, it's like when we go to... Uh, uh, when we're there, like, in an area where you go, and then you hear that echo back to you, that immediacy, sometimes we don't get that immediacy. Sometimes it takes a while until we hear that echo come back to us. Um, like a boomerang. Yeah, the boomerang comes back to you. Sometimes it goes on a little bit of a journey. Sometimes you don't know if it's going to come back to you. Um, so it, 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 that idea thought came into my mind. I'm like, whoa, wouldn't it be interesting to be confront a person who's confronted with their own gripes, their own complaints, their own whatever. I mean, imagine if, like you were saying earlier about being, you know, you're, you're, you feel anxiety. I feel anxiety a lot too. Now imagine if I were to then come, come out into a world where everybody's feeding back to me all of their anxiety, I might go, uh-oh, that, that reminds me of what the heck I've got going around in here. You know, if I, if, I, if I were to lower the volume on that, would the volume of this around me lower as well? That might be an interesting... Oh yeah, anxiety is a whole other... <clears throat> whole other can of worms I think everyone has it to yeah. varying degrees because like you and I were saying earlier you know how can you like I, I think anxiety at its core is is what you're you're clearly putting one step ahead you know like oh what am I doing next Thursday uh, I have to I have to go to the grocery store you know or whatever so if you don't if you're not, if you're not planning ahead to some degree 
and you're just completely winging it, and, and it's lovely to talk about, I mean, it's just my opinion, but yeah. it's lovely to talk about being in the moment, being very zen, and li living only for the moment, and I think in, in theory and on paper that, that always sounds wonderful and almost blissful, but, you know, I think the practical reality of day-to-day -day life, you got to have... You know, clearly you have to have some sort of plan, loose plan. And like I was telling you, I think the trick <clears throat> for me is to strike that balance between being in the moment and then also having a loose template. Okay, what's going on next Tuesday? Uh, oh yeah, I have to bring my car to the mechanic, you know, or whatever it is. Like, just practical day-to-day uh, -day, uh, functioning, you know, of... of your schedule. <laughs> now something just your schedule. Your schedule. Now something just popped in my brain. Do you think that? I guess I'm. Do, do you think the feelings that um, that are attached to that future event um, are usually? Is it is it usually a feeling of like, oh god, what if it goes wrong? Type of thing, or or. Because I know with my anxiety, there's there's that idea of like, uh oh, what if it what if it all just derails? And you know, there there's that kind of like anxiety aspect. Now, anxiety is the, is the opposite side of the coin of excitement. It's the same thing. It's just translated into a different kind of vibe. It's the same kind of thing. So we could be excited about the future or anxious about it to be here now. I guess. Um, I know sometimes when I think about the anxiety, it's that either I don't really want to do that thing in the future, or, whoa, I've really built this project up to be big in my mind, you know, like screenplay ideas, for instance, or, I don't know, concept albums or something, that like, oh gosh, there's a lot to get through. Is there that vibe that's ever attached to it for you, or what do you think it might be that could break the spell of, of anxiety? Oh, God. I mean so many ways to I, one thing that popped in my brain when you were when you were first you know putting that out there I I think a lot of it depends on where you, honestly like where you're at uh, in your life like uh, even chronologically you know like I think for me uh, I'm gonna turn 52 <laughs> in a few weeks and while I don't feel like what I imagined 52 might have been like when I was uh 12 or 22 or you know what I mean uh, it's you know it's still a, a marker in your life and, and we all know the one thing we can all agree on we're all going to die I'm trying to remember I, I heard Mark Maron uh, interview a guy recently I think it was on uh, the WTF podcast where he said well one thing we can all agree on we're all going to die uh, or I can't remember what it was, but it was, it was really funny. So, you know, when you've got this limited uh, scope, the older you get, you know, you don't, you don't want to see it as, what do you want to do? See it as half, you know, glass half empty, glass half full, that kind of thing. I don't know, but um, it, I, I think that, you know, get, given your, your, your age, given your health, given your relationships, that, there's so many factors, you know, like things that contribute your job situation like you know that contribute to uh, where you're at you know so and again I think the anxiety is always there it's just a question of what it, what's the degree pattern you know what I mean like is this yeah. is this working for me or against me am I allowing this to work for me or mm. against me because you do mm. I think you have a choice to some degree yeah um, it's just 
it's so subjective, you know what I mean? Like everyone has their own situation, but I think I think everyone has that <clears throat> to some degree within them, you know, anxiety. And it's I think it has such a negative connotation in society. You know, you just say the word and it's and people are like, Oh, 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 I don't want to talk about that, you know. No, who wants to talk about that? <laughs> Who wants to feel that? You know, who wants to even uh, think about it? You know, it's 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 a real drag. So I think maybe a big part of it is just sort of deconstructing it and diffusing it, the power and just normalizing it. Maybe it's interesting because I, uh, I also might add I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> so, it's who, who knows? <laughs> well, you know, there's that idea that. Um, it, like the anxiety, the excitement, it's, that's, that harkens back to our fight or flight patterns. Oh, yeah. The fight, the anxiety is like, oh, God, it's something's going to kill me. Is something going to kill me? Is something going to eat me? I just heard a loud noise. Oh, God, I just got to oh, get yeah. the hell out it's of here. It's almost like that primordial, like that primitive instinct, you know? Like, yeah. Deep down, like, oh, what's this going to do to me? Right. Yeah. We either run away or run towards it. Yeah. And um, uh, it's, what's interesting even if you had anxiety through this process of creating before the end, you, 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 you dialed in. Your, your excitement for telling the story outweighed the anxiety of like, oh God, what if this goes wrong? Or, oh gosh, what if I don't find these people? Or whatever. Because um, I'm sure there was anxieties in the beginning where you're like, oh gosh, I would love to interview this person. Oh, what if I never get that person? Oh, I'd love it. And then guess what? Un unexpectedly, years down the line, something pops into your email address or you, you stumble across someone in a coffee shop or who knows what that, that that's that person that you never even thought that you'd ever get a chance to interview and it's like how the heck it's like so crazy how the universe kind of talk about the boomerang it's like you went zhoo, zhoo, zhoo. here's my intention I really would like for that to happen and then it just appeared at, at just the right time Here, here's a, here's and that's very dead on here's an encapsulation of that that just popped in my brain when you said that so as we sit here at Jerry's Deli in Studio City, Ventura Boulevard, lovely sunny day in what December? Uh, uh, somewhere up here in the hills, <laughs> Jim Morrison's physician, uh, if he's still with us, uh, lives somewhere within a couple of minutes of, of us. And I tried like hell to interview this guy. I called him, I contacted him multiple times, email, phone call, uh, carrier pigeon, you know, yeah. whatever I could yeah. do. And, and, and I finally got through to him, and he was wonderful. You know, he was, he was uh, very forthcoming and apologetic for sort of giving me the stiff arm, you know, but he wanted to, as many of those people did, they wanted to test me and, and see, oh, well, who are you, and, and are you for real, you know, uh, because they meet a lot of fly-by-night type people, and I, I can understand and respect that. So I passed the test, right? And I was grateful for that. But in the end, ironically, he didn't give me the interview. So he gave it to me informally uh, over the phone, but he did not want to go on the record on camera, and he said, don't take it personally. Uh, you know, and a number of principals told me the same thing. Don't take it personally. I just don't, I don't do this for anyone. It's like, it's just what they've just decided, what they've chosen. And I was used to it at that point. <clears throat> so on the one hand, he gave me this amazing information, shared his time, and energy with me, and I, I'll always be grateful for that. On the other hand, he said, well, I'm not going to let you put it in your movie, your documentary. So right, in, right there is encapsulated this sort of balance, right? 
between the excitement and the anxiety flip side of the coin. You yeah. Know? So that's that, maybe that's life in a nutshell. I don't know. You know, and you and you just what can you do other than maybe uh, roll with it and be grateful for it? You know, it's a, it's part of your experience. I don't know. What's interesting, I'd love to know. Like you said, these people go, I, I don't just do it for anybody. I would love to know who the ideal anybody is that they would do that for. It'd be interesting to know who that anybody is. Do they need Steven Spielberg to come up and interview him? Do they need, like, what, 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 what is that anybody? Well, that's where the cynicism kicks in. From right. Having lived in Hollywood for so long. Yeah. Like, okay, yeah, if I were Spielberg... Would you be like, oh shit? I'll talk to you right now. Hey, put, bring the camera over. You know what I mean? Because of his reputation, yeah, his funding, <clears throat> um, his obvious talent. You know, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, but on the other hand, I, I, I think I'd like to believe that with a guy like that, because I think he was like 90 years old when I spoke mm. with him a few years ago. I think he had just, you know, he basically been like, been there, done that don't want to don't want to go there mm. you know uh, and that's his choice and I respect yeah, it so. yeah. but who knows you know yeah if Spielberg came along <laughs> you know uh, uh, Michael Moore I don't know someone you know, uh, you know I'll never know you know I guess it's my own you know I guess it, you know we were talking about projection earlier I guess it's like my uh, and possibly my own ego of the idea of like okay here's a story to tell someone is presenting me this opportunity with a story to tell that especially if I'm 90 years old, I might not be able to tell again. And how fun would that be to be able to have it included in this in this wonderful project? Um, I guess I guess it's just my own ego talking. You know, like I'm thinking, like, holy cow, these people have stories to tell. How often, you know, and then let's say, you know, once BTE comes out, who wants to live with the regret of going, God, I wish I would have talked with that guy? I'm right, you know? with, I'm right with you, because, I mean, there, there's that line, too, of, the, you know, your ego, uh, you know, the healthy ego that we all have versus, what, unhealthy ego? There's a balancing act right there. Maybe it all comes down to balance, you know, every portion of our persona, you know, our, our experience, I don't know, like a balancing act or a tightrope, tightrope uh, walk. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I played that card with that guy. I remember saying, you are one of the last living conduits to, to Jim Morrison. I think uh, historically, it's important to for you to share your story. If not with me, then hopefully so, you know someone. But, you know, uh, and, and to try to tactfully put across this person is of a you know a certain age. I mean, without coming on saying, "Hey, dude, you're 90. Let's, yeah. let's do this now." Yeah, <laughs> you know I mean? yeah. All right, who, knows? who knows when the next Jim Morrison documentarian <laughs> right? is going to come around and ask you questions, sir? Right. Yeah. So, so selfishly, uh, I, I'd like to think in a healthy way. I was trying to impart to him, "Could we please do this for posterity's sake? You know, for Jim's legacy." To, to study him for future generations, that kind of thing. You are his physician. You were his physician throughout the entire time, uh, 1965, 66. Uh, I know he came in right at the when they signed with Elector, I guess, and was with him until he went to Paris in 1971. So he was his doctor, you know, physician. Uh, but again, he, he had his choice, and I, I had to respect it. Yeah. You know. But there were lots of guys like that, many men and women... Oh please, <laughs> you know. And I know these people are all Morrison's age. You know, he he would have just turned seventy-five years old this past Saturday, December eighth, 
2018. So we were talking, you know, his his colleagues are all in that zone, you know, uh, mid 70s, give or take. Uh, I don't know, you know, <laughs> uh, while the planet's still spinning, you know, can we can we go on the record? And, you know, and I guess that's the other thing too is that I need to put myself in the shoes of the idea that. Like you're saying, they're, they're, maybe a lot of them are jaded. Maybe a lot of them have been approached in similar ways. Maybe, you know, and then nothing came out, uh, about of those projects, you know. Because um, oh, that's, yeah. that's something that happens so often with projects that get started. I mean, Kaufman Lives, for instance. But, like, the idea of this thing gets started and it's like you're hoping that it's got steam, it's got momentum, it's going to keep moving, it's going to keep grooving, it's going to give birth. And, but then, something happens and then the brakes are put on it and I think I told you on, on Inspirato Projecto I think I shared it there or, or maybe it was on the podcast at one point um, I won't go into the whole story but Jack Holzman there's another guy who's in his man uh, uh, he's well into his 80s now I think uh, I had to jump through many hoops to get to him and he's the guy who signed the doors uh, he's the guy who, uh, the founder of Electra Records. I mean, he's a legendary figure in, in music and art, culture. And I totally understand. He was like, well, who the hell are you? Where are you coming from? Ironically, that was my pitch was, I'm not your garden variety corporate documentary filmmaker. You know, I, I'm working outside the Hollywood system. I may live there, but I'm working outside of it uh, because I'm trying to get to the truth, you know, and not being about branding and media image and PR and all that stuff. So I hoped that he would find that refreshing. At any rate, he finally, unlike Jim's position, uh, Jack Holzman finally did let me have an interview, but oh man. <laughs> I even had to endure him yelling at me, uh, curmudgeon-like, you know, who, who the hell are you? <laughs> oh my God. And I was like, ooh, did I catch you on a bad day? <laughs> you know, I remember it was a rainy day, one of those rare rainy days oh, in LA. Man. I was like, is it because of the rain? <laughs> And no, he just, he, he said, he goes, I hope, he, later he apologized and he said, I hope you understand, I have to weed through so many people, mm. almost daily, who want his time. They want mm. to interview with him, they want to write an article about him and Jim, the doors, whatever. Uh, and, and it's exhausting, you know? So he wanted wow. to know that I was the real, real deal. And uh, I, I respect that. That's incredible. I'm so glad that you were able to get all the people that you did throughout all the years, and you know, some of them gave you leads to other people, or you just would stumble upon stuff with your detective work. You would just, like Sherlock Holmes, you would just, you know, figure stuff out. Oh, a lot of it was people just being so, honestly, like really genuinely kind. I mean, the majority of the situations I found myself in, everyone was. Uh, so helpful, you know, like, oh, you got a, you got the email for this guy? Here it is, boom. You got this guy's phone number? Yeah, you got to talk to this woman. She knew Morrison, boom. Wow. You know, and uh, they didn't have to do that, you know, but wow. I think once they knew that I was not uh, not messing around, they would, you know, pull these things out of their, Whoa. out of their hats, and I'll always be grateful for that. And yeah, a lot of it was detective work, clawing away, you know, researching stuff, and I love that. That's one of my, honestly, I think my favorite part of the process is the research, um, laying all that groundwork and setting up the interviews and you know commun communicating with these people and, and hearing their their stories and their experiences is just fascinating to me because you're documenting uh, history you know and hopefully the truth of what 
really happen, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I think your honest, your your earnestness and your authenticity. I think that really, you know, it shines through. And um, um, because because you don't have like the Hollywood sheen to it, the, the 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 you know that shallow aspect that you really wanted to dig down and find out the true stories. I think maybe that probably lit the fire in some of these folks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and it's. It's funny, a lot of people, I think, really responded to that, and, and a small handful <laughs> uh, chose to go the other way, and, but those people, I, I know with full authority, are, are, you know, have an agenda that is part of that sheen you, you, you mentioned, and, you know, I respect that, that's their, that's their, that's their angle, you know, that's where they're going. And uh, that's fine. There's, I think the world's big enough that we can coexist. I think the irony in the end, and I've said this many times. I, th I think, I, oh my God, I think I said this on, when I was interviewed on Coast to Coast like two years ago. Uh, uh, the irony in the end is that we're all, we're all promoting Jim and the doors. We're all trying to show our, our truth or Jim's truth. Uh, our, our truth about Jim, you know. So in the end, it's like we're all really sort of on the same team anyway. Yeah. So shouldn't we support each other? Yeah. Like life's too short to bicker and yeah. try to cut each other down, you know. It's, yeah. Uh, it's like that's just bullshit, you know. Let's 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 work together, people. <laughs> there you have it. Let's work together, people.